Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're going to be taking a look at the final X-Men film, uh, Dark Phoenix. We're also going to... I'm kidding. Uh, the most recent X-Men film, Dark Phoenix. We're also going to take a look at a, a, a new independent picture by a woman named Lulu Wang, named The Farewell, starring Aquafina. You might have seen an ad for this. Uh, we saw an early screening at the Oak Cliff Film Festival. It comes out in July, but we want to talk about it. It's a cool movie. We're also going to talk about uh, Dark Phoenix and the X-Men franchise and why this movie has performed so outstandingly this weekend. I'm sorry for listening to this show. You didn't even know it was coming out. And yes, uh, it came out. It happened. There was an X-Men film in theaters. Uh, and before we get to all that, we need to talk about some news. The first story comes from Comic-Con this year. Warner Brothers to skip their infamous Hall H panel. I don't know anything about this. I don't know what Hall H is. Uh, Andy, fill us in, please. Uh, so this has to do with San Diego Comic-Con. Uh, hall H is their kind of big panel hall where they, they have, you'll see all your celebrities come out, uh, talk about upcoming films where they'll have big announcements. In the past, this is where they announced things like Batman v Superman or other kind of major releases. And uh, they're skipping it. And what this means is that we, we're not going to get a preview of anything like uh, the upcoming Joker film, Birds of Prey, Wonder Woman 1984, or, or Dune. They're completely sitting out and last year marvel studios did the same so this is a kind of part of a trend actually you know it's funny i I know it's not movies but i am a video game fan and e3 is going on this year the electronic entertainment expo uh and of all the big players over there sony is sitting out e3 they're not doing a presentation and and nobody really knows why i think like this story unless there's a reason from warner brothers I, i think what people are speculating is the reason big companies are sitting out conventions is because, like, what's the point? Like, it's the age of the internet, right? Like, you don't have to go to, to pay for a big booth and a panel and have all these people out. Like, you could just put your trailer on the internet one day and, and you're on your way. Um, I don't know. What do you think about that? Is there anything to that? Does Warner Brothers have a reason? Um, no, that they haven't stated any reason. I, I think the luster of Comic-Con, the big San Diego one, is, is just, um, it's waning. And, you know, if anything, I think the, you know, the rise of toxic fan culture is probably scared studios away of, well, we don't want to really be associated with that. And they they have the freedom to release things on their own schedule. They don't have to compete with other brands or studios. And, um, yeah, it's, it's just, it, it's not what it once was. It doesn't have the allure it once had. The allure. Oh, you mean people? You you mean big studios don't want to bring big name actors and directors into rooms full of like smelly con goers that haven't had a shower <laughs> in three days? Yeah, that doesn't sound appealing. Yeah, and, and it's tough. Like I, I I like the spectacle of events like this, but I get I don't go. I I, I get it. Like I and I I don't go because. Um, you know, I don't. I don't feel like I really gel with that crowd. And I'm sure a lot of people who work these events feel the same way. They're just like, what are we doing here? Like why are we why are we in a place with people who are dressed up and walking around and 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 it's just I don't know it's a shame like I I think Comic Con's a really cool thing but yeah you're right it's losing its luster a little bit in the age of the internet. Um, well, yeah. also also uh, I mean Disney has sat out a lot of these as well and the other thing is that a lot of companies just do their own convention. Uh, Disney does uh, it's D twenty something and then there's a Star Wars convention. There's probably going to be a Marvel. Like a lot of these uh, people can just do their own like three-day conference and convention and just host all their things there. And so I think that's the other reason we're not seeing a whole lot of this. Mm. Either way, uh, a little disappointing. It, it, it was cool to like see big trailers come out. Uh, even if it was on the internet end of things, people would leak cell phone footage and stuff. And that was fun to see on the internet. That drove hype for new things coming out. Um, so we're not going to get that this year. Bummer. But I'm sure they'll still publish things when they've got things to publish. You know, it doesn't mean they're going out of business. It just means they're uh, realigning their priorities. So good for Warner Brothers, I guess. Bummer for San Diego Comic-Con. Our next story, uh, Shazam, that new uh, superhero movie that came out, is getting a spinoff. Uh, the spinoff is called Black Adam, and it finds it found a director with the uh, director of Shallows, a man named Jaume Colesera. Uh, that's just going to take a real swing at that. Um, I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but yes, uh, d- Black Adam, Shazam spinoff. <laughs> yes. this, this has actually been kind of announced for a little while fill people in andy for those who may not know so about five six years ago Dwayne the rock johnson was announced that he was going to be in the shazam movie and he was going to play black adam which is one of 
uh, Shazam's arch nemesis. He has similar powers. He's Egyptian. Um, so again, this was announced a long time ago. And then it, when the movie came out, he it sh- was shown that he was not going to be the main villain in the first movie. So we're saying, oh, I, th- I just figured it. I guess they had uh, kind of tossed that idea. But apparently, it's alive, and it's going to happen, and it is going to have the rock in it. You know, it's funny. Uh, at first, I thought to myself, like, I don't know a lot about Black Adam, but... Like, to me, him being a villain in a cool comic book movie, like, that seems really neat. Uh, And then he gets his own movie. They they decide, oh, no, he probably gets his own thing. I wonder if that has anything to do with the fact that he's, like, the highest paid action star uh, in film right now, right? Like, why wouldn't you give him his own movie? Oh, totally. You might as well, you know? You might as well build out this Black Adam character to be a, a a few films deep. If you're trying to build any kind of universe, like, it seems smart. You got Dwayne Johnson involved. Like, do you want to make him a throwaway villain, or do you want to make him, like, something awesome? So, kind of cool. I, I like this anti-hero approach they're going for with Black Adam. I don't know if it'll be... I mean, I don't know. I don't know how that'll all pan out, right? Like, ultimately, in superhero movies, you got to have a good guy and a bad guy. It's hard for me to think that they're going to have somebody who just kind of dances along the line. Maybe this is DC's Loki. Maybe that's what this yeah, is, that's Yeah, right? actually, that's a good comparison. I, I think it'll be someone that... You know, he'll come in, he'll be, uh, you know, the villain in a movie, and then we'll see his, like, backstory, something like that. Or we'll see his backstory film, and then we'll see him in Shazam 2. One other thing, uh, for anybody out there who thinks... uh, I've noticed this in in movies before, lately. Uh, When it comes to directors picking up new films, like... or, or Films, big, big franchise films being given to directors, like, it seems like they will give movies to anybody with a pulse that's made even a remotely successful movie. Like I would not say shallows or the shallows starring Blake lively as a surfer being attacked by a great white shark. You remember that movie? I wouldn't say that qualifies you to make a comic book film, but like clearly, uh, uh, Warner brothers disagrees. Uh, and, and they, they just, you made a movie that was even remotely fine and didn't completely bomb. Great. Here you go. Here's the keys. Uh, I don't know. I, I guess it's just the way it is now. I was thinking about that with X-Men, I think. I forget who directed that, but we'll find out in just a minute. And I think it's the same kind of story. It's just like, yeah, uh, you've done a couple movies that were not complete bombs. Here you go. Yeah. <laughs> you got yourself a movie. Uh-huh. Oh, so, gosh. Yeah. He also directed Orphan. I don't know if you remember that movie. That was a wild flick. Yeah. Our last story, uh, Weekend Box Office, Dark Phoenix debuts behind Secret Life of Pets 2. Like I said in the open, if you're listening to this, there's a good chance you didn't even know an X-Men movie came out this weekend. Uh, Dark Phoenix holds the lowest opening of the 19-year 12-film X-Men franchise. It has done horrendously. Andy, (laughs) tell us more about it. Uh, Well, we're going to be getting into it, like I said, in our review, but it it has been not a good weekend uh, at the movies. Uh, even Secret Life of Pets, the first one was a huge hit, and this one debuted at something like half of what the first one did. So even that movie is, is doing poorly, and now Dark Phoenix, the, the final... And this is final because Disney now... This is the final Sony Fox uh, X-Men. Because now that Disney owns Fox, any further X-Men will be Marvel Mar- Marvel slash Disney property. Uh, well, I mean, final outside of New Mutants, which is being reshot and pushed around. Oh, yeah, that's right. New Mut- we'll probably just end up coming out on Disney Plus quietly yeah. or something. Like, I, I don't know what's going to happen to that movie. Um, yes, but the... So this film it debuted at $33 million, which is the lowest, like I said, in the franchise. Well below... Uh, the other low, lower ones were $53 million and $54 million for The Wolverine and... Uh, one, of the, oh, one, of the, one of the other... Sorry. Uh, Apocalypse... Anyways, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm rambling. Sure, there's, there's so many of them. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's done really bad, and this series has kind of gotten a l- worse over time. But it it's kind of reflect. It's an issue of the summer. Like we've had a, a, a number of at- temple films this month, and they all look like effects heavy, f- weak films. Yeah, and 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 like. I, I don't... We, we'll probably get into this. This will just roll nicely into the review, I think. This is well-placed. Thank you for putting this article here right before the X-Men review. Uh, like, I don't know if it's just poor marketing or if it's just genu- genuine, like, fatigue, burnout. We're actually going to talk about that in our Death of Cinema segment as well. It's a very X-Men-heavy episode today, so yeah, keep an eye out. It's turning out for it. Yeah, it's it's true. 
Um, but like to be fair, one, this movie made thirty-three million dollars, which is over double what Booksmart has made in total in the time it's been in theaters. So like, it's not all bad. And two. Uh, it's changing properties. Like, I guess it's fine. You know, I'm sure Disney's not really banking on this. But even still, like, this movie, they try to do something different. It doesn't It doesn't bear the X-Men moniker, at least in, in uh, U.S. markets. Internationally, it's going to be X-Men Dark Phoenix. But here, it's just Dark Phoenix. If you Google X-Men, it, this movie doesn't come up. It's like it's supposed to be its own kind of deal, and they got a great cast back. And, like, people just don't care. <laughs> People saw Avengers and they saw Aladdin and they, that's it. They're not going to the movies anymore. Yeah, there's like I said, I'm gonna I'm gonna save it for our middle section. But there's a lot of reasons why this movie has not done well, and we're gonna get into that later. We will. We'll get into that later. So for now, let's move into our first review. You've graciously agreed to take the summary for Dark Phoenix. Do you mind? Please take it away. Dark Phoenix. Where's Jean? Where is she? So this is the latest and final installment of the long-standing X-Men franchise, uh, which was owned by Fox Sony, which and now will belongs to Disney. So this will eventually get rebooted, I'm sure. Um, but it will all be different, and it will be different creators. Anyways, this story, uh, which is a little convoluted, uh, so we take place in the 90s, and this series, this kind of first-class series, has gone back in through time so we started in the 60s 70s 80s and now finally we're back in the 90s even though nothing actually looks like it's in the 90s um we start at the beginning of the film the x-men are in good terms with everyone the public the public has a positive perception of mutants um professor xavier has a direct line to the president uh pr is good they start at the beginning of the film they go up to rescue these astronauts uh do the space mission and while they're up there uh, there's this kind of cosmic force that infects Jean and she nearly dies, but she kind of absorbs this power and becomes this kind of overly powerful mutant that she can't control, but she kind of can, but she doesn't want to. Um, she kinds of, she ends up hurting people, even though she doesn't mean to. And so she eventually kind of leaves the X-Men to find answers about herself and also kind of dig into her past, which, um, it plays a big part. Meanwhile, we also have Jessica Chastain's character who plays this kind of alien ship shapeshifter person who was also after this same power that, uh, Jean Grey now possesses. Um, so the, there's a lot going on in the plot. Uh, it's a little convoluted. Uh, there's a lot of effects and a lot of action, a lot of those kind of comic book things, uh, we've come to expect. It also has, uh, a lot of things that don't work. It has been reviewed very poorly, but there are some positives and, uh, we'll get into that later. But first, Zach, what do you think? You know, I was, I was very harsh on this movie at first. Uh, when I, when I was watching it last night, it was a lot of eye rolling, there was a lot of, uh, uh, you know, sighing and just like, <laughs> oh, God, it's like it's like watching, La- you know, uh, Lassie be put out to pasture. Uh, uh, but sitting on it now and thinking about it and kind of going over today, like, it's really not that bad. It's not like it's 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 clunky and it's got problems. But at the same time, like it's it's still a, a genuine entry in a series that at one point I had a lot of love and respect for. Yeah. Um, it's not what I wanted it to be, but I don't hate it, and we should talk about why. So, what's the first place to get started on Dark Phoenix? Where do you want to dig in here? Uh, well, I wanted to. Sorry, let me just give my my quick uh, take take on it. Um, yeah, yeah. It it is solidly mediocre. There. <laughs> yeah. Thunderingly average. <laughs> yeah, there are a few things that, that works. Like I said, overall, the, I think the effects are really good. Some of the performances are really good. Um, there's. Like I said, it has a lot of problems. The plot's convoluted. The writing is kind of bad. The characters are not real flushed out. Um, it and it's just, I got really bored in the middle of it. Which you know, it's a comic book movie. It should never be boring. Um, and I, I felt like they just didn't know what to do. There's a lot of problems. Uh, but where where should we start? Um, let's start with the cast because it's outstanding. Right? Yes. Yeah. 
It's 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 one of those movies that like arguably the cast is better than it needs to be. They got everybody back from all of the uh, X Men movies coming back from Days of Future Past. Remember that's the one where they reset the timeline. Uh, uh, and and so they've got James McAvoy back as Charles Xavier and Michael Fassbender back as Magneto. And you've got Sophie Turner from uh, uh, she played uh, uh, Sansa Stark on Game of Thrones. She's our Jean Grey. You got a bunch of teenage characters uh, from other teen movies. I swear I had the IMDb page pulled up for a minute now. I'm looking at Simon Kinberg, the director. This is his directorial debut, by the way. Um, Nicholas Holt as Beast. And anybody I'm missing here? Uh, anybody outstanding you want to mention? Uh, no, you already said the big ones: McAvoy, Fassbender, Jessica Chastain as 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 uh, our, our alien character, and and Jennifer Lawrence is back as Mystique. Uh, you might remember a long time ago she said she wasn't going to play that character anymore, and here she is. Um, so Did, take that she, with a Here she is, still not playing that character. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> God, when she's wearing the blue makeup, she just looks miserable. Like she just is, so does not want to be mm-hmm. uh, on screen. And she started Mystique when she was younger, and like I get it, it was a different time. And now she's like kind of a hotshot actress, and like doesn't have have to do anymore. But uh, anyway, uh, the cast is great. The cast is 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 real good, and they all play well. I think they're they're struggling to work with a script that's not quite as ironed out as it should be. And a lot of times they have to deliver lines and scenarios that just don't make sense logically. Like there's, it, it just feels like there's plot holes. Like I get in the world of X Men, it probably works, but like uh, a fine example. Very early in the movie, they go to space, right? They do this cool space mission, and and our characters are like floating, as far as I can tell, floating essentially in free space without spacesuits or anything. I'm like, okay, can they breathe in space? Yeah. Is there? Why aren't they freezing to death? Like there's sound in space in this movie. Is this just the world of X Men? Or do, do the normal rules not apply? Like, it's just hard to tell. And so you have actors acting in situations that just aren't realistic. Like, from a point of rooted in realism, right? right. Like, the, the laws of thermodynamics don't seem to apply in the world of X-Men. So how does an actor act in space if you don't have to act like you normally would act in space? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's just clumsy. But, the, but, the, but the, the actors are good and the actresses are great. And I enjoyed the performance of Jessica Chastain. It's just dead eyes the whole movie. It's great. <laughs> um, what do you think? So... This cast is good. It's almost too good. We have too many like A-list stars and not enough screen time and not enough time to develop a lot of these characters. Um, we get great performances from Michael Fassbender, who's always been good as Magneto. Jennifer Lawrence is phoning it in. Uh, I, th- I thought Sophie Turner was good as kind of the lead. Um, Jessica Chastain is wasted. Like she, she has like one mood, like one face, and that's all she does the whole movie. To be fair, there there was one scene where she's just doesn't blink the whole scene, and like it's pretty convincing for what it's worth. It's like one long take where she just doesn't blink once, and I was like, okay, I see what you're going for back there. Like you got some, but you're right, she's in the background, nobody's paying attention. Yeah, like she's she's hardly a villain. It's really a bummer. So one of the big problems I think is this is a great cast, and and there's just too many people. There's not enough time to go around, and that's one of the things that Marvel has done so well is develop its characters to where you really care and you really know all of them and you got to do some homework. And this franchise seems to constantly throw in a bunch of new people in every movie and you don't get any time to really know them. And even the characters you do, you don't really spend a lot of time. Like we don't get to know uh, Quicksilver or um, Storm or some of these other people. They're just kind of there so that you can see them do cool X-Men stuff. Right, they just like ride that residual wave of popularity from the older films, even though they're new actors and actresses playing the roles. Like Halle Berry isn't Storm in this movie; it's uh, Alexandra Ship. Um, you're right. Mar- Marvel definitely manages to flesh their characters out more uh, outside of battles, and I wish that was a thing. But inside of battles, I thought characters bounced well off each other. There's a really cool scene early on where they get that Marvel chemistry going, where where heroes will combine their powers right in a battle scene uh at one point our teleporting character uh um um, nightcrawler teleports into a scene with our fast moving character quicksilver and as soon as they show up essentially everything slides in slow motion quicksilver runs around and does his whole thing and then grabs nightcrawler and they teleport out and it took like half a second it's really neat it's a really clever like okay that's a really cool combination of powers and like i see how that works and that's that's cool. You see that synergy across like this team of X Men. That was that was well done, and the action is definitely worth talking about too. Yeah, definitely. 
Uh, what what do you want to move on to next? Do you want to move on to effects or writing or got to got to be the effects? Yeah, yeah it's got to be. Although one more thing about performance is one thing about Nicholas Holt also wasted. There's a scene in this movie where he's crying with the beast makeup on, and it looks so bad. <laughs> it looks so bad. It's like it's like a high school stage production, and like you can tell under the 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 mountains of makeup, he's trying to like actually sell this emotional performance, but like you just can't see it because he's wearing. A, a blue mask, you know? Yeah, like, just, like this is almost like trying to do the Avengers movie without having done all their individual movies. Like you just don't know kinda, half the people. Kind of, yeah. A little Batman v Superman. Um, so the effects, yeah, I thought they were really good. The opening scene with this uh, space mission is really cool. You get to see, uh, like you said, the X-Men working together, doing different powers. The Quicksilver scenes are always really cool. That, that's probably one of the things I look forward to in all these uh, movies. And they they don't overdo it. Um. So the, the was I, go ahead. So, so those are, are really cool, and we get to see a couple of those. Um, there's a lot of wanton destruction uh, that seems to happen, and lots of uh, you know energy emanating from people. Sometimes that looks works, sometimes it doesn't. But there are some cool scenes of you know people pulling trains, or there's this great scene when Magneto walks into this building and he's pulling like a train car behind him to block the entrance. The entrance, the entrance, the entrance. Uh, this end scene that's on a long train is also uh, n- not too bad. It's one. It's one of the things that's in the trailer. Um, but yeah, I, I thought the action worked uh, pretty well. The fights sometimes they just it, it it almost feels like everyone's waiting their turn <laughs> to do their thing. So yeah. I think they could kind of be combined a little bit more. Um, but it looked really good. What do you think? Yeah, like I said, it was directed by Simon Kinberg. This is his first directorial outing, but he produced a lot of films before this. He produced a lot of the X-Men films, uh, Logan, X-Men Days of Future Past. He produced The Martian with Matt Damon. So, like, he's no stranger to action, at least from the monetary side. And it shows. Like, the the action is great. You're right. This movie is a visual spectacle. There's a lot of, of action scenes in this that work well, not only because of the CGI, but actually because they're just shot well. A lot of camera movement, a lot of focused like movement and choreography with actors and characters, and the camera bounces around and like it actually works really well. It's really good stuff. I, I there's other superhero movies that could take a lesson from action like this. It was a little bit more gritty, and it felt good. Uh, and, and I like that. And you're right. Like I said, the, the, the way the powers work is, is really impressive. The way Magneto pulls a, pulls a subway train out from under the ground is really neat, you know, and, and even some of the Phoenix stuff is cool, even though it's, it's kind of overpowered. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. The, the action was tremendous. It's the things that were going on between the action. That was, yeah, the the, the, you get a lot of these and this will good, be a good segue into our, into our issues of writing. You get a lot of like talks of people, um, <laughs> where they're just kind of monologuing, but they're like these long and boring things, which I will now refer to as yawnologues. I'm here all th- I'm here all week, folks. So, so yeah, I mean, but it's like, oh, you're gonna have uh, Charles and Beast monologue, then you're gonna have Beast and Mystique, and then you're gonna have Charles and I mean, it's like everyone that has all these one-on-one conversations. No one talks in a group, and it's. Uh, it's just boring. Like I couldn't believe it. I was like, man, I'm really like struggling to stay with this movie. It's supposed to be like an exciting comic book film. Yeah. And you can tell they knew it was boring when they were editing it. <laughs> like you can, because there's music under every scene. It's never quiet. And like, there's a couple scenes when it should be. There's one scene in particular where uh, beast is really, really, really torn up about something that happens in the movie. And, and Charles Xavier comes to, to comfort him. And so they're, they're in the kitchen and then they're, they're, they're drinking whiskey or something. And Charles is trying to talk to him and beast is just super pissed. And there's music under the whole scene. And I'm like, you know, if this has just been silent, it would have been so much more powerful whenever he gets pissed and beasts out because of course he does. Right. Yeah. Like he's yeah. got a temper. Like it would have been so much cooler, but instead you had to put a rhythm under it, which makes it feel like it has a beat and a presence. And like, it made it feel weird. And, and there's a couple other, I, I don't know if that's just the writing or the, or the or the acting, but I think it's I think it's the editing. I think it's the pacing is where that where that came up. There's a scene with uh, Magneto talking to Jean Grey, and he keeps asking whose blood is on your shirt, and he asks it like seven times, yeah, and then it comes yeah. back later in the movie. And you'd think that would be like a satisfying, I don't know, like like a, a rhythm and a beat, but it doesn't really happen. It's just kind of edited clumsy, and and it just feels like a weird stinted conversation right very strange so in addition to like the character writing is is all over the place um and the the kind of plot and story is unclear like so the dark phoenix is Jean, but is is the darkness in her did it unlock her is the power that she absorbed is that the, the dark phoenix like is she a good character like it never really explains or 
picks one side or the other. It's just really all over the place, and it gives us kind of a lack of conflict. Um, and also, I don't know who the main character in this movie is. Is it Gene? Is it Charles? Is it Beast? I mean, who is it? Yeah, it's whoever you, it's whoever you want it to be, I guess. I, I guess it's Jean, right? I mean, she's the Dark Phoenix, but like at the same time, she's arguably the villain. But like, she doesn't ever really do anything that evil. So like, it it's tough. Like, and you're right. Like, there, there's a there's a there's a there's a conflict of conflict, if that makes any sense. Like, on the one hand, uh, Jean Grey is this character who's super powerful already, and and Charles Xavier has to help like you know, nurture her power, and then she gets the Dark Phoenix thing. So it's like, okay, wait, wait, wait. Was she always super powerful? Is she just super powerful now? What was he hiding from her before if she wasn't that much of a danger? Why is this a hazard now when it wasn't? Like, it just it just kind of raises more questions, and the movie doesn't have time to answer them for you. It just kind of stumbles through what it thinks is plot resolution. It's like a... It just it, the script should have been worked over a couple times. That's all. Like just have to have a writer come in and really, you know, okay, we'll pull out this part and, and iron this out. Like it would have been fun, I think. Um, yeah, yeah, it's clumsy. And, and like I said, there's this whole uh, also part of the plot involving Jessica Chastain, and who's like the leader of this race of shape shifting aliens, who's there. She's kind of nurturing. Uh, I almost said Sansa, <laughs> um, Jean Grey's. Uh, you know, kind of worse impulses, but and that's never really developed satisfyingly either. It's just, I almost forgot it was even in the movie. Um, which brings us to a, kind of a larger issue with this series is that every movie is kind of the same. You have the same characters in the same conflict. It's always Charles. It's always Magneto. It's this, are mutants good? Are mutant, mutants bad? Do we fight against the humans? Control your powers. Like it hits all these same beats over all these 12 movies. Um, some much better than others. Logan, of course, is probably the, the pinnacle X-Men movie. It, it's hardly even an X-Men movie, but um, it's it's the same thing every time. Yeah, it really is. And like on the one hand, I don't like I said at the beginning of this review, I don't I don't necessarily mind that because that familiarity is comforting. Coming back to the X Mansion and Cerebro and like all of that is neat. Like I I don't I don't dislike that. Like there, there's a real history in in. Uh, superhero films with that for a lot of us a lot of us saw those old x-men movies man a lot of us remember those like it's kind of cool to see them again but it just hasn't it hasn't changed it hasn't it hasn't evolved in the right way like they've recast it and they've kind of rebooted it but like our characters are still wearing goofy yellow sweaters and it's like this doesn't (laughs) yeah sorry sorry, those x-men uniforms look really bad real (laughs) bad like the the x on it is so forced across the chest that it just looks big and clumsy it's it's, yeah but also like i said the 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 conflict is always the same it's always you know like we were joking it's it's xavier yelling and falling out of his chair and then magneto like being on the other side and the the original kind of um, what this is based on is it's supposed to be Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, like they're two, you know, one a peaceful protester versus a militant protester, and these are the kind of people that, that those characters are based on, and we just completely lose that. And also, it's almost like we haven't. It's like no other conflict is happening, and even this Dark Phoenix thing. This D- Dark Phoenix thing showed up in like the '90s cartoon, so it's like certainly other things have happened in the X Men comic book that we could rely on, and not this really old storyline that doesn't seem to work no matter how many times you try and tell it. Mm. So what's the, I don't know. <laughs> what's the, what's the big takeaway here? Cause we have more to say about this movie. We're, we're not done talking about it, but for a formal review here, um, I don't know. It was it too long. What'd you think? It was coming up on two hours. I think it, well, it just, it was boring. So it was probably too long, but even it would, I, I felt even if it was shorter, it was still going to have these same problems. It still would have been boring. So, um, yeah, it was. <laughs> I don't know what to say. Uh, yeah, it was just bad. I, like, I didn't. I, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't hate it. I really didn't. It's just like it, it was like a fun romp with these old characters you'd kind of forgotten about. Except the adventure is terrible. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just <laughs> not interesting. It's just not exciting. And w- one thing that I've I've read is that we've had such good f- superhero films. And we've had Logan, and we've had Infinity War, and Endgame now. Um, Black Panther, you know, we've had these really good films which dive into character and have, you know, kind of philosophical differences that bring us, you know, Black Panther is this, you know, uh, isolationism versus globalism. Um, Infinity War gives us this, I will sacrifice everything versus I will sacrifice no one. 
so that we have these kind of clashing ideologies that support our characters and support the conflict. And there's just nothing that interesting happening in any of these X-Men movies. Yeah. And it's a shame because I, I, I want to support them more. Like I, like I said, I, I well, we'll get into this in our next segment here where I think the future of the series is going. I'm sure you've got hot takes as well. Um, I don't hate it though. I really don't like yeah, the, it the was cast fun. they've got and, and the world they've got like is not that bad and, and, and it's worth mentioning, but like, the movie is just clumsy. It's not that bad of an adventure, though. It's really not. It's really not. Like I, for all of our, for all of our things we're saying are are incorrect. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean it's it's unwatchable. Right. You know, it's it's the summer. You're paying to go see big effects. You're getting big effects. Mm-hmm. So, any final thoughts or for recommendations? I think I'm ready. Andy, would you recommend Dark Phoenix? Um, <laughs> this is this is tough. So, if you are a big X Men fan and a big comic book fan. Um, you know, you probably want to check it off your list. I know I am. I was going to see this no matter how badly it got uh, reviewed. Um, It does have good performances, uh, particularly by Michael Fassbender and Sophie Turner. It does have really good action scenes. We, like I said, the opening uh, space mission is really cool. And we have some other fight scenes and other set pieces, which are effects wise are, are nice. Um, But we are missing really strong and developed characters and a really kind of cohesive and coherent plot. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. In the right hands, this movie would have worked. And I'm not saying that's necessarily down to Simon Kinberg, the director. I think it's a number of things. Uh, um, in fact, we should probably talk about that in our next segment. Man, I've been teasing the, the yeah. crap out of this thing. I can't wait for people to hear this. But uh, for, the, for the formal recommendation, yeah, maybe. That's my recommendation, which is horrible. When it comes to like Netflix or something, totally give it a watch. The, like the, I think the action is worth it, and like I said, it's it's kind of a fun, it's kind of a fun step back in time a few years to like, oh yeah, this is how superhero movies used to be. You know, yeah. it's kind of charming in that way. Um, it's like a time capsule. Well, it, it's a little bit like Terminator that where like I really want to like it. It just <laughs> I want it to be better. It just never is. At least not right. yet. You're right. And and so ultimately, I, w- I would say, like, do you need to go see this in theaters? No, you totally don't. Uh, if you find it at a dollar theater and you have nothing going on on a Saturday and you've got two hours to burn, go for it. Otherwise, wait till it comes to a streaming service. I'm sure it'll be on there. Uh, I'm, I'm sure we'll enjoy watching it. Uh, so I don't know. It is what it is, I guess. I, I, I look forward to um, I'd, I'd love it if Disney Plus could have all of the X-Men movies just in a tab. Here's all of them. You can watch them all. Like, that would be awesome. Because they, they are their own little thing, and, like, I respect that. But this one is just not... The juice just isn't worth the squeeze. Yeah, exactly. And with that, we should move on to our next segment, the thing I've been teasing the whole episode. Andy, do you want to please take the reins on this? It's time for the death of cinema. So after this disastrous weekend that the Dark Phoenix had, um, a Hollywood reporter came out with uh, this article called We Were Wrong Behind Fox's Dark Phoenix Debacle. Um, And We Were Wrong refers to uh, some execs who have seen this. And actually, this that was referring to Apocalypse, which was the previous X-Men film, which also did very poorly. And so it kind of digs into, like, what is the deal with this? with this uh, property because this essentially kicked off the superhero craze that we've experienced for the last 20 years in the first X-Men movie came out in the year 2000. No comic book film had been taken kind of this seriously. And that's not a great film, but it was the first time it was a more kind of mature approach. Cause before that we just had like the Batman campy 1997 Batman and Robin, which kind of killed this comic book film <laughs> as far as we knew it. So it was it has been a big deal, and X2 was really successful. X3, not quite so great, but it went on to spawn 12 films, but now it's kind of uh, the sun is set on on this this franchise or this part of this franchise. So we're going to talk about why that is and what's kind of moving forward. So, Zach, what are your uh, initial thoughts here? Well, I think there's a lot of good points in this article. Uh, essentially, the, the the headline or the tagline here is when definite awareness of, of Rocket Man, an Elton John biopic, is higher than an X Men movie, you know you're in strange territory. And it's true. Uh, more people knew that Rocket Man was coming out than this. Now, Rocket Man was marketed better. That's true. 
But like, it is weird, man. Like, I remember when X Men came out, and it was a big deal. X Two, which is still regarded as one of the best films in the franchise, was huge when it came out. Like X Men Two, that was a huge deal. People could not get enough X Men. Spider Man was tr- becoming a thing. Like, we really were starting to get into the age of the superhero film in a big way. And now. An X-Men movie comes out and just nobody even knows and they don't care and they can't keep up with what was going on and it's too confusing. And it's frustrating because this article digs into one of the real problems, I think, of Hollywood, arguably what's killing cinema, that like Hollywood executives, they never just say this movie did bad because it's a bad movie. They're never like, yeah, the writing sucked and the actors were bad. It's always, well, it came at the wrong time. Audiences were tone deaf. It wasn't marketed well enough. Like, there's always a number of excuses as to why the movie didn't do well. It's never just, like, franchise fatigue or the movie was just not good. Like, it's never just basically yeah. that. And this article kind of talks around that, and, and but, but I appreciate the perspective, I guess, I should say. So, you heard us say the movie wasn't that great. Uh, let's talk about the, the other side of it, right? The producers and the directors and, and, and why they think it failed. That's what this is. Right. So, release date it has a big part to do with this so this film was supposed to come out in november and they basically saw it as a week for summer strong for the off season kind of film but because of other films namely uh an elite battle angel because they wanted to push this uh dark phoenix got pushed to february but then that's when alita got pushed and james cameron wasn't going to have that uh con um competition so it got pushed to summer so this is a non-summer film that got released in the heat of summer, and that that it's a big part of why it's failed. It's it's been pushed around quite a lot. Like I said, this was supposed to come out November twenty eighteen, seven months ago. Yeah, and it's a weird categorization to say it's it's uh, not a summer film. That's that's from this article. This is the producer saying this. This isn't Andy and I necessarily saying, hey, uh, this isn't a summer movie because for a lot of this, it checks boxes. I'm not saying it's a summer blockbuster. I'm not saying it's as good as Infinity War, but like the action is the best part. And if it's an action film, why wouldn't it come out in the summer? You know what I mean? Or in winter. It was weird getting pushed. Yeah, the the argument here is that James Cameron got spooked about Alita Battle Angel coming out in December and wanted to move his movie, so they had to move this one too. They pushed it back. I think that... Not knowing a lot about uh, accounting and the box office, I think that might have hurt it. I think coming out in winter might have been better for this movie. It would have had more exposure. More people would have known, hey, there's an X-Men movie coming out. You know, you could have marketed around that a little bit more, but pushing it back like it didn't help it it didn't help it at all it just made it worse um yeah because this, this seems to admit that it, they, they seem to admit that failure that like yeah we, we probably shouldn't have moved it yeah i mean this is funny enough still competing against uh infinity war mm-hmm. funny enough um that's tracking higher as far as this whatever awareness uh scale that, that they have um yeah. so we have release date we have we definitely are having fatigue because the first class uh that first came out in 2011 that's a really good film, and that was really cool to see young versions of these characters because we see Charles Xavier before uh, while, when he can still walk. We see um, Michael Fassbender's Eric Lencher go hunting Nazis, which is a, still a really cool f- like thing in this this franchise. Um, so we got to see some things we hadn't seen before, and like I said, that first film is is really interesting. But, but then it it just each film got progressively worse in this kind yeah. of reboot. Right, and that's the franchise fatigue uh, we're talking about. Like, it's not that the movies got worse, and well, okay, they did get worse, but like, hear me out. Like, they 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 tried to evolve the series in a way that made it interesting and relevant. And to be fair, for a superhero franchise, they've made some incredible strides. Uh, I can't think of another franchise that's managed to reboot their entire cast and essentially storyline and still make it work, while also keeping it ambiguous as to whether or not this is a separate storyline or the same thing. It's pretty incredible, and they managed to do it relatively seamlessly but they lost people and that's the thing over over the course of these movies each one you did you lost people when you did first class you went to a younger audience people were like well wait i don't know who any of those characters are i'm not going to see that movie when you did days of future past people were like well it's time travel i don't really know how that all ties in i haven't seen the last two i'm not going to go see that movie apocalypse came out a lot of people didn't go see that and the people that did didn't like it so this movie like it's just a series of stumbles, right? That's the problem. Yeah, like that's exactly. that's ultimately the biggest issue. It's not that one particular movie wrecked this. In fact, most of the movies have not been that bad. But it's just a series of increasingly mediocre films uh, that leads to an audience a lukewarm audience reaction. Yeah, not only that, we said this a little bit earlier. It's also competing against really great films because okay, if 
First Class comes out in 2011. That's before The Dark Knight Rises even. But it's also before the first Avengers, all the Avengers films, and the swath of uh, Marvel films we would eventually get before Logan. So the problem with this series is that it's still like a 2011 film and hasn't aged and um, kind of matured with, with everything else. And on the one hand, again, time capsule. It's a very neat feature. On the other hand, Marvel's been coming out with a new movie like twice a year, every year. Yeah. Uh, where's X-Men been? You know, DC's been making movies. Where, where's X-Men been? Um, they, they just, they're not putting out content fast enough to keep up with the competition. Right, exactly. So what I wanted to think about next is wh- what do we think the future of this is now that this closes the Sony Fox chapter of X-Men? That's a great question. And and I, I think I said my... <laughs> I think I I spilled my beans at the beginning of the episode. Uh, It's got to be a hard reboot, right? There's no way they can save any of this, especially after the ending of this film. There there are events that happen in this that spin the franchise in a specific way. Uh, And Disney, looking at what looking at what they did when they took over like Star Wars, they were like, okay, all those all that extended universe stuff, all those movies and TV shows and 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 spinoff books you guys wrote and art and characters and action figures. All that's out. We're not doing any of that. We're going to lock that in the extended legacy universe, and we're doing our own thing. Thanks, guys. See ya. That was Disney's approach. Now Disney owns X-Men. Why wouldn't they do the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. Why? But, but again, I think Disney understands the value of nostalgia, and I think they understand the value of a good cast. And I'll bet somewhere somebody's making a case for these people and saying, no, 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 we can save this. We can turn this around. We can do something with this. This isn't, this isn't, this isn't nil. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think that there's, I mean, this has been a successful property, even though the, this movie and the last one haven't been that great. Overall, it's been very successful and it's a great property and it's primed for a more mature vision and adaptation. Um, so it's definitely going to get rebooted. Uh, in a few years, once everyone's kind of forgot, and I think it'll be great because then we can we can get a new cast, and we can probably get the older versions, uh, which which are really cool, by the way. And then we can also get just a more mature conflict. I mean, like I said, the Dark Phoenix whatever is like thirty years old. Like, let's come up with something new. And a lot of times, comic books movies do that. They they rely on some of these older classic time, like you know, Infinity War is that's like from the eighties, I think. Um, that whole saga. So we do reach back in time, but man, you got to bring some new, new conflict, some new villains, um, some, just something new to the franchise. I think you do. And, and, and I've, I know I've said it a hundred times here, but like, it, it really does bum me out. The thought of, of this being rebooted because the cast is not that bad. Like they, they would do well to keep some of these people, if not all, like it's really not that bad. If they could put this cast in a, in a, in a time capsule and be like, okay, you know, what? we're going to come back in six years. We're going to redo everything around you, but the cast is going to stay the same. I'd be fine with that. I really would. Like, just get some good writers in there. Get some of those Marvel writers, for God's sake, to get in there and, and start working this stuff over and say, okay, you guys now have X-Men. Go ahead, go play. Do a few movies of X-Men by itself. Build that universe a little bit. Then start to trickle them into Marvel films. Like, that's that's the long game play. You guys are rebooting uh, Avengers and doing a whole new sta- sequence stage four thing uh, uh, going forward, right? Might not be a bad time to start kind of tying that in i'm sure that's something they considered when they bought 20th century fox anyway yeah um i i mean i think the future is bright for the franchise and bringing in new writers new blood focusing on character focusing really getting in because we focused on you know wolverine's a great example on a character they did delve into let's do that with everyone um just i mean we don't need whole origin stories but just just have more of the characters we know and love and then and yeah i would love to see a whole new cast it'd be really cool and you know three, four years to see who would you get to play Xavier? Who would you get to play Magneto or whatever? Sure. Get somebody who's not miserable to play Mystique. (laughs) Uh, For God's sake, don't do Dark Phoenix again. I think this is the third time we've seen this story in this film series. Like, I don't know. It it doesn't have to be all bad. And like, maybe, maybe it will take a hard X-Men reboot, right? Maybe it will take a new, just X-Men movie. Uh, and start off at the beginning with Magneto escaping the Holocaust camp. Like I don't know, uh, I, I don't know what it's going to take. But like I'm, I'm genuinely hopeful. I, I don't look at this series with disdain, like you said with Terminator. Like I want to like it. I want to be wowed. <laughs> yeah. So, and I think a lot of people do. I really do. So yeah. 
Uh, any any other thoughts on, on X-Men before we move on? I think we're ready to move on. It's been a heavy X-Men episode. It is. And it's a weird moratorium, uh, but but I think it's important. It's it's a series that I think we both like a lot, and I think a lot of people do, even if they've forgotten about it. Uh, our final film of the show, uh, this movie is called The Farewell. What's wrong, Dad? Please tell me. Manan is dying. She doesn't know. So you can't say anything. The family thinks it's better not to tell her. Why is that better? Chinese people have saying, when people get cancer, they die. So the farewell follows Billy, a young Chinese-American woman who's struggling to connect uh, with her family after some recent news about their grandmother. See, the grandmother in the family, who's very a matriarchal character, uh, uh, she is terminally ill, stage four cancer. It's bad. And in China, in the West, or in the East, I should say, there's there's this idea that when somebody is diagnosed with terminal illness, you shouldn't tell them, which is really something. And right. so the family decides collectively, we're not going to tell her she's dying. We're just not going to say anything. We're 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 going to act like everything's cool. In fact, there's a wedding coming up. One of the one of the sons in the family is getting married. So we're all going to travel to China to spend time with her and act like we're there for this wedding even though really we're there for her and we're all going to play it cool and nobody's going to tell her and billy is an emotional person and she's connected with her grandmother so they don't want her to come but she comes anyway this is the movie the farewell uh, andy what did you think of this movie um this was really br- brilliant i really liked it and i, and I also want to back up the the uh, kind of environment we saw this at we saw this at the uh, oak cliff film festival in oak cliff texas um we did there was this really awkward introduction and presentation beforehand uh, where these four five, six people got up and talked about the festival and the winners of different categories. And it just went on for too long. Um, but once the film started, uh, I really in- enjoyed it. Uh, it's really, it's really funny. Like it's, it's a dramedy, which I hate that word, but that's what it is. It's, it, it's a heavy drama. It's a heavy subject matter, but it's also really funny. And most of the humor comes from these these older characters, like the grandmother, or the grandfather, who you know they're old and they're blunt. They just speak their minds, and that's part of part of the charm. Um, but the movie is really charming, and it's it's funny, but it's about a lot of things. It it has these differing philosophies. It's east east meets west, or east versus west. It's old versus young. It's um and and it's all happening within the f- same family, which is interesting. It's not you know Chris Rock, Jackie Chan east meets west. It's with it's first generation immigrants, second generation immigrants, and their Chinese relatives. Um, so you have that, and you have this this central idea, which is not an easy question to answer. Is you know if you're if you're dying, do you want to know? And and it's we we get some really complex, complicated answers. Um, so I thought it was really good. The performances are good. Aquafina is really good, and I only ever heard her as kind of a raspy, cigarette sounding <laughs> person mm-hmm. in in a lot of movies. So she does a really good performance. Yeah, a lot of confidence in her performance. Um, I, I I enjoyed this movie a lot. It's 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 real good. I'm not typically a fan of, of uh, really dark comedies, or you might even call this one a black comedy. Um, I, I really struggle to connect with those. I, I struggle to find that like just the driest sense of humor. But this movie's got heart in a way that really brings it out. It's not it's not quite as dim as you'd think. Uh, it's actually really charming. The ignorance of the grandmother character to the current situation brings a lot of like lightheartedness to a real dark situation and seeing our other characters who are clearly struggling with grief, try to kind of bounce off her in a positive way is a lot of fun. Um, it's very human. It's yeah. easy to connect to, uh, the farewell was a really cool movie and we should talk about it. So it's the fir- best first place to start. I would say the cast, uh, they're outstanding, but I don't know a lot of them. Right. Uh, yes. This this is largely a Chinese cast with uh, several Chinese American actors. Uh, like I said, Aquafina and Diana Lin, and then the the woman who plays the uh, grandmother, who's Ch- who's uh, credited as Shenzhen Zhao, uh, as apparently a pretty well known actress over in China. Uh, so that, that was cool to find out. Someone uh, I have some Chinese friends who said, "Oh yeah, we we totally know who that is. She's a big deal." 
Um, but it's a very large cast because it's this entire like family and extended family. And they, the reason they go to China is for, is officially for a wedding with the excuse to be able to kind of say goodbye to their, their grandmother. So you have, you know, aunts, uncles, cousins, on both sides of this wedding that are all there. So we, it's a big cast of, of people and we get to see them in a very authentic situation. They're at their home. They're at the, the wedding venue. They're eating dinner, these kinds of real natural settings. Yeah. And it feels very um, like, <laughs> it feels very on location. Like it feels like they went to China and shot these things. Maybe they didn't, maybe they were in a studio, but like maybe they were in a Chinese studio. I'm not sure. But like all of the interiors, all of the locations, like just feel very like palpable. They feel very real. Nothing feels like it's on a set. It feels like they're in a cramped apartment in China. Like it feels like they're outside of these buildings in China. Like maybe they could have shot it in Toronto for all I know. I'm not sure where they yeah. shot it, but um, it just felt very accurate. Its setting is very important, and it works really well for the movie. And then you contrast that with the East, right? New York, which is very loud and messy and obnoxious. And you get a few scenes there, but the stuff that's there is more powerful for it because that's what we're familiar with. And when we're placed in an environment with our main character, Billy, who's not that who's not that familiar, right, in China, you feel a little out of place. And that only adds to the feeling of, of these characters trying to hide the truth from... Uh, one of our singular characters, the grandma. So that was that was kind of neat. I, I like that. It helps you connect with your with with your main character, Billy. Yeah, that was nice. yeah. The um, the setting is really important, and because and I'm pretty sure it was in China, it looks like China, but it's also not the just glamorous westernized version. We're not in like you know downtown high rises. It's just it's a normal city, and you know the hotel is small, the house is small, the wedding venue looks it it looks like a real place. It doesn't look like a Hollywood version of that place. And so this, the setting feels, uh, very authentic. You know, there's, there's this, um, gag at the beginning where, um, the elevator's broken to Billy's, uh, hotel room. And apparently it's like 13, 15 flights of stairs. So she has to drag her, her, you know, her suitcase up these things. And it's, it's definitely not a Western hotel. No, but a very simple laugh, the kind of thing that comes out of a black comedy like this. We should talk about the writing because that's ultimately where this movie, you know, makes its bones. Uh, the, the visual effects are, you know, there's not a whole lot of them. Uh, the char- the characters are good, but ultimately, it's 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 a little it's a little offbeat, right? It's it's it uses a lot of classical music mm-hmm. instead of like Chinese music. It's it's got these sequences that are like montages where uh, Billy will will break the fourth wall and stare straight at the camera. Um, it's it's indie in that way. But as far as the script goes, our core, our our conflict, and our characters struggling to overcome this. Uh, something I liked is is each character is very unique visually they stand out one character has a funny haircut the other one always wears this goofy pair of glasses the other one's this really young hotshot kid the other one is billy's mom who kind of has a bad haircut but is very stern but also very meaningful like you can visually identify all of these characters easily and that makes them easier to identify and connect with later because you can look at them and go oh i know that one i know who that is like you don't get confused by this big family which is nice and that helps you to flesh out their characters because each one of these characters has dialogue and and conflict and their own problems and they struggle in their own way and they deal with grief in their own way which is really neat yeah um i really love this script like i said the writing is really smart and really funny a lot of it is that you know parents picking on their their kids kind of of humor that that bluntness that comes that only family uh, can give um, and like I said, they're together for this wedding with between these cousins, and that's a whole gag in itself because these cousins are. I mean, the the male is. I mean, he's trying to keep his emotions about the grandma dying in, and then the bride is actually Japanese and doesn't speak any Chinese or not a lot. And so, like, there's a whole gag between the awkwardness of their relationship that goes on throughout the movie. They they look so uncomfortable with each other in every scene in in the wedding at dinner, and it's it makes for uh, for a good gag. And like I said, but it, we have this great excuse of for the family to be together. But then there's there's some, some smaller conflicts as well. Like we said, Billy really wants to tell her grandma about what is actually happening about her diagnosis. And so there, there's, that's the main conflict that she has with other members of the family. Cause some of the other members kind of feel the same way, but they don't want to go against what everyone else, the kind of collective feel is. Yeah. And there's this really 
nice charm of Billy just stopping down in a few scenes and be and asking different family members at different times of vulnerability. Like, don't you want to tell her? Don't you feel bad? Why shouldn't we do this? And everybody seems to have different answers, but it really falls under this tent of East meets West. Like in 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 I mean, they specify in one, in one scene. Like in America, this would be illegal. You can't not tell somebody that they're gonna die. Like that's that's yeah. really twisted. But in the East, there's this interpretation of like bearing bearing guilt. Uh, for family and and like we're wearing that for for somebody else like when, when they can't handle it themselves and 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 dictating that for them yeah i thought that was that um, was a really interesting answer that one of the character gives is they said you know it's it's our burden to care like we like we are sad we are emotional it is hard for us so that they can be happy as long as they can uh, right so they have as long as possible to be happy and not know mm-hmm. um, and yeah and again this east meets west this individualism which is a very western idea versus the collective the, the family the society you're part of a whole yeah and and it never really it never really forces the issue one way or another like the like the the plot goes the way the plot goes it's based on a true story but like it, it never really stops down and tells the audience hey here's here's how you need to feel about it it just kind of presents the information, lets you sit on it, which is my, my favorite kind of movie, right? To let you let you decide ultimately whether or not you think this is right, like whether whether or not uh, death should be handled that way. It's a very human thing, exactly. Um, and it it reminds me of a like that's what a good documentary will do. It'll raise questions that you have to answer. And we get some other parallels, uh, like at the beginning of the film, Billy is a writer and she's applied to a fellowship program, and at the very beginning of the film, she gets a rejection letter. Um, and she doesn't tell anyone. And the reason she doesn't tell anyone was she's like, well, I didn't want you to worry. So we get a parallel of, well, that's kind of the same idea yeah, uh, of and, what's happening. Go ahead. And uh, Sorry. And also uh, we get parallels with the grandma and her ability to lie. Like it's not, it's not just the family pulling one, pulling a fast one, sweet old, sweet old gam gam. Like she does the <laughs> same thing. Uh, she, there, there's, there's a scene where she's got a cough and everybody else knows what it is like we we all know the score like you're you're sick um but she thinks it's just a cold and she tells she tells the members of the family hey don't tell everybody else i've got a cold don't tell anybody they're gonna worry about me i don't want them to do that like she she implicitly indirectly participates in a similar form of lying yeah so it's not that weird that the family is doing it because she does it to them like it's something that's happened their whole lives it's just how it is over there it's really interesting and it gives it a lot of cool perspective like it doesn't it doesn't necessarily make everybody else feel guilty. In a way, it makes them all seem kind of innocent because they're all doing what they truly believe is right. Right. Um, I wanted to talk about one scene in particular. We talk about this East meets West. There's a dinner scene where a big, you know, 10 of them are all sitting around this big table and uh, they start kind of saying, well, which is better, like, you know, the U.S. or China? And uh, this is a really intense moment where, you know, they're kind of p- picking at each other where, you know, one side of the family is saying, well, you know, if China's so great, why are you sending your your kid to study? And say, like, well, if the U.S. is so great, why aren't why aren't you rich yet? You know, and it's just like it it gets really it gets slowly more and more heated, um, and, and and it's a great um, it's a great scene. It's a great conflict. And Aquafina kind of answers this question earlier in the film when she's asked. She said, "Well, they're different." And some guy keeps asking her, "Well, you know, which one's better though?" And she's like, "They're different. They're just different." Right. And 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 I I really appreciated that perspective yeah it doesn't it doesn't come out either way and say hey it's this way or that way i mean the movie's not even really heavily chinese or english because it is all subtitled there is a lot of chinese in this movie but there's also a lot of english Mm -hmm. so like even even then i couldn't say hey this is a movie made for chinese audiences like in in a lot of ways it felt like it was made for american audiences so Mm -hmm. i don't know it's a very a very worldly earthly thing um it's just a real cool movie yeah real sharp and, and and i respect a lot about it any other opinions or recommendations? Um, no, I think I'm ready. Andy, would you recommend The Farewell? Um, absolutely. Uh, it It's a very funny, moving uh, piece of indie drama. Um, I haven't really seen anything like it in a long time. Uh, it does have a serious subject matter. It is about someone's grandmother who has a cancer diagnosis and she will eventually pass away from. Uh, I know some people have not wanted to see it because of that. Um, so that would be kind of my only uh, um, warning about, about it. Uh, but it was really good. It wasn't too long. It was about an hour and 40 minutes. It was perfect indie length. And um, like I said, I, I really, really enjoyed it. And uh, like I said, we saw an early screening of it. So I'll be interested to see how it does when it comes out um, later in July. I'd, I'll probably go see it again at that point. 
Yeah, I, I enjoyed it a lot too. I would likely recommend it to anybody, but I know it seems inherently negative. It seems like a movie that's just bad and doom and gloom and this grandma's dying. And I'm telling you, there, there are moments of lightheartedness in this movie that are totally worth it. People forget when a movie is dark that, that, that sometimes like the, the, the light spots are the brightest, you know, they shine brighter for it. And, and this movie totally applies. There's a lot of laughs. There's a lot of heart. There's a lot of love. Uh, it's it's a really cool flick. I, I I would recommend the farewell. I think I think you'll enjoy it a lot. So yeah, there it is. That's the farewell. Uh, and with that, we should talk about what we're seeing next week before we formally wrap the show. First off, uh, the big one. We're gonna see Men in Black International. Yes, that's I'm right. Excited about that. Yeah, uh, we were talking about this a little bit before the show. Honestly, I'm a little optimistic. I, I'm I it's difficult for me to say this movie's gonna be terrible. It's been a long time. I, it's kind of a reboot. Tessa Thompson's great. Chris Hemsworth is great. They're both great in Thor Ragnarok together. I don't know. It could be neat. It could be charming. I, I my money's on Liam Neeson being the bad guy. We'll see. Um Yeah. <laughs> I, I I don't know. We'll we'll see what it's all about. You got any any thoughts on this? Um, you know, it's kind of been a week's summer after um, Endgame there uh, that we're, we've gotten a lot of effects-heavy things that are kind of disappointing, like Godzilla last week, Dark Phoenix this week. So I'm hoping Men in Black is not that, but I'm afraid it might be. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. The other movie we're going to watch is Jim Jarmusch's The Dead Don't Die. It is a zombie film. It has the biggest cast for a zombie film ever, uh, or I should say highest build cast, not like the biggest physical cast. Um I'm going to be honest, I'm a little skeptical about that one. Yeah, same here. Definitely. Here's the thing. When a when a, when a a popular art house or indie director comes out with a movie and the number one thing it's sold on is, but look at the cast, I'm I'm concerned. Like a a movie has to be more than than its cast. Uh and and when a movie a zombie movie is is advertised on its cast, I'm a little worried. Like what well, what's the plot about? What happens in it? And like, I still don't know, which is giving me cause for pause, but we'll see. We'll see. I, who knows? It could be neat. I, it's got Adam Driver in it and Bill Murray, who doesn't love them. So that could be neat. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's got potential. With, it's got potential. It certainly has potential. Uh, and with that, we should probably tell you how we can get a hold of us. If you enjoyed listening to the show, if you want to find out more about what we're doing or stay involved, check us out at offscriptfilmreview.com. We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram. Hit us up. Leave us a rating and review. Subscribe to the show. It's the easiest thing you can do. It costs nothing, and it helps us out way more than you know. Uh, shoot us an email at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com if you want to let us know what you thought or if you think uh, Dark Phoenix was actually really good, if you thought The Farewell was actually I don't know. I don't know, but hit us up. We always appreciate correspondence. We read it at the open of the show, too, so we'll give you a plug. Hit us up with your social media handle. We'll tell people where to find you. It's great. Uh, from all of us here at Offscript, the home, Bold Cinema, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for listening.